Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is The Future of Business with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. You'll hear from the innovators who know how to use game-changing technologies and business strategies to shake up the status quo in your company's future and help your organization move in exciting new directions. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, 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 and if you want to run with the Game Changers, I can absolutely promise you're in the right place. I always promise, and I think we always deliver. What's the buzz on the street today? Well, I'm going to try to read. I'm desperately going to try not to sing a little phrase from an old Beatles song. The song is called Revolution, and here's the line. You tell me that it's evolution. Let's just leave that one there. Now, what is this all about? It's the future of global business on steroids. It is a revolution right now. It knows no borders. It knows no limits. It's just growing. Some people would say it's out of control. What is it? It is the DT revolution. I want you to remember those two letters, digital transformation. Now, those of you in our global listening audience, I know you're out there. I know you're in about a thousand places around the world listening right now, or you will be listening to the podcast soon. You've been hearing us talk about digital and digitizing and digitalization, all those wonderful words. You've also been hearing us talk about transformation. So now we're putting those two words together and we're calling it the DT revolution. So listen up. DT started. It was set in motion with the first computer back when I was working on computers in the 70s. And now it has the same exponential growth curve as the internet. I'm just going to tell my engineer I'm hearing an echo when I talk, and I don't know if he can can fix that. So we're looking at this exponential growth curve. It is just soaring and growing all the time. And how does it grow? More people join in, more devices join, and it gets stronger and bigger and goes on and on. Every industry, every organization, every business structure will change. That's a given. And the transactional business world as we know it today will be fundamentally transformed. You can't hide. You can't run. You can't escape it. So our message to all of our business listeners out there, and you are listening to us on the Business Channel, if you don't think that the digital transformation revolution does apply to you, if you think it doesn't apply to you, you're wrong. You're in for a shock. You better stick around for the next half hour, 45 minutes, as long as you can stay with us and hear from our three experts because you are going to be impacted if it has not happened already. So the experts speak. Let me introduce our first speaker. He is a professor. He goes by Professor Aaron Striegel. You want to look him up, S-T-R-I-E-G-E-L. Associate Professor and Associate Chair in the Department of Computer Science and Engineering at the University of Notre Dame. And Aaron, I'm going to call him alternately professor and doctor and just plain Aaron. He has sent us a wonderful quote from John Chambers. Now, John Chambers was quoted on a recent show. I'm just going to read a little bit about him. John Chambers was born on August 23, 1949 in Cleveland to, let's see, his parents, well, I don't know if we care, were John Tuner, Jack, and June Chambers. His mother was a psychiatrist, and his father was an obstetrician. That's very, very interesting. But here's the kicker. I'm including this little piece of trivia specifically for Aaron, who is an educator. When John Chambers was nine years old, he was diagnosed with dyslexia. He had to learn to overcome it and cope with his disability. He has all kinds of degrees. He got an MBA. He started at IBM. Then he went to Wang Laboratories. Then he became higher and higher up on the corporate scale. He moved to Cisco. He became the CEO of Cisco. OMG, not bad for a kid with dyslexia. Here is the quote Aaron has selected. The Internet of Things will be bigger 
than the Internet. Professor Striegel, welcome. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on, Bonnie. We are delighted. I know you're a very, very busy guy. I know you're taking some time out from classes to join us, and we appreciate it. Aaron, did you know that John Chambers was a dyslexic as a child? No, I did not know that, so that was very interesting to find out. Yeah, you might use that as a motivator for some of your students who make excuses. I don't know who's eating their homework these days or, or whether their uh, contact lenses weren't ready for studying or whether their iPad wasn't wasn't uh, charged up when it was time to do a paper. But you might say, look at John Chambers. Look what he overcame. So talk to me. Interesting quote. Are you a big fan and follower of Mr. Chambers? Aaron? I am, Bonnie. So, you know, especially given his leadership role at Cisco, you know, uh, you know any, anything he says tends to make a, a few waves out there. And in particular, why I pick that quote, you know, I think as we look to the, the digital reality and where we're moving, a big driver of that really is going to be the Internet of Things, right? And sort of what is the Internet of Things? Maybe people have heard of the Internet of Everything, the Internet of mm-hmm. Things, but this is really kind of a huge paradigm shift for the industry in that what's happening is usually we've thought of we have our smartphone, we have our laptop that we carry with us, but the things that are around us now are going to pick up some sort of a wireless or some sort of a connectivity, and now we're going to have those devices, say, either uh, phoning back to the Internet then, or we're going to be able to actually manipulate them. And so given my sort of background as an academic researcher, it sort of warms my heart because most of that is going to be wireless, which introduces a huge number of challenges. But Basically, what this is going to do is it's going to fundamentally change how we interact with the environment because what's going to happen now is everything's going to become programmable. So it means my dishwasher, my car, everything now I'm going to interact with. And so we're going to have a veritable torrent of information coming our way telling us about everything that's around us. And at the same time now, we're going to be able to write complex code on top that then is going to allow us to manipulate it. So sort of that that dream of sort of the smart home now where you walk in mm-hmm. and it automatically turns on the TV and your, your food's already cooking. There's going to be a, just a fantastic array of innovations that are going to be coming our way. And this is really fascinating. There's a tremendous number of opportunities that come from this, these sort of devices then of, you know, whether it's looking, say, in the home, it's looking at, say, the city scale. There's just a huge number of advances that are coming our way. And this is, it's really profound, you know, and, and I think uh, Chambers perhaps a, a bit underestimates it when he said it's going to be bigger than the Internet is that it's, it's really just going to radically change our livelihood. So it's going to be a real transformation, not just an escalation. And, and going to my opening, Aaron, would you mind answering me? Do you think it, is it an evolution or is that how it started and now it's a full force revolution? Any thoughts on that quickly? So I, so I think in some sense we're evolving a bit, but what, what we're seeing is we're, we're trying to kind of tease out where does the Internet of Things make sense. And once we kind of figure out how to really truly monetize this and how we figure out how we're going to incorporate this, we're going to see it pick up a ton of speed. So, so right now we see lots of interesting sort of smart city aspects and we see lots of savings come from that. But really when it starts to penetrate to the consumer and into the home, that's when we're going to see it just explode out from there.
And you can't run and you can't hide. Thank you very much, Professor Aaron Striegel. Welcome again. And now let me turn to our second panelist. He is a returning guest. He was on one of our Game Changers shows. I'm guessing it was probably Coffee Break with Game Changers last year, our flagship show. It's Jeff Scott. And if you want to know how to spell his name, it's very uh, very different. It's G-E-O-F-F, the old-fashioned English way, Jeff Scott. He's a CEO for the America's SAP Users Group, fondly known as ASUG, A-S-U-G, the world's largest community of SAP professionals. And Jeff has sent me an interesting quote. I've, this is a new one for, for Game Changers, Jeff. I really appreciate it. From Steve Wozniak. Now, come on, Steve Wozniak, you're saying... Oh, that name sounds familiar. Who is it? Well, first of all, you might have seen him on Dancing with the Stars a couple of years ago. I'll just put that one to the side of the desk and we won't revisit that one. Steve Wozniak is Steve and his mother wasn't sure whether his name was going to be Stephen with an E or Stefan with an A. Stephen Gary Woz- Steve Wozniak, born in 1950, August 11th. He's known as Woz, W-O-Z. He's an American pioneer for the personal computer revolution of the 70s and an inventor, electronics engineer. And yes, you know him because he partnered with Steve Jobs and on and on. And the history is Apple. But what's interesting, a little piece of trivia for Jeff, is that Steve Wozniak was expelled from the University of Colorado Boulder in his first year for hacking into the college's computer system. I'm just going to leave that one on the table. So here's the quote. Never trust a computer you can't throw out a window. Jeff Scott, how did you find this quote? It's fabulous. Morning, Bonnie. Um, you know, really two two reasons for that. One is in about a week or so, we're going to welcome Steve Wozniak to the stage at ASUG Annual Conference and SAP Sapphire oh. now, which is the largest uh, the largest event in the SAP ecosystem. We'll have, you know, thousands of people in Orlando in a week or so. So uh, Steve's coming to the stage to talk to all of us in the technology industry about his view on computing, and I thought that was kind of a nice way to to kind of do an intro for him. And, and secondly, when you turn your mind to digital transformation, I think we're at a point today where you actually can throw most of your electronics out the window because everything you have is stored up in the cloud and it just Mm -hmm. replicates onto another device. So, you know, today I've got in front of me a MacBook Air, um, but that's synchronized to, uh, you know, Microsoft 365. So all of my files and work files are not on my computer. They're someplace else, right? And so if uh, this computer were happened to break, you know, while we're in the middle of the radio show, uh, you know, God forbid, I can pick up another device and keep going. And I think that is part of what digital transformation promises to us, this ability to kind of be everywhere and anywhere at the same time. So I thought his quote was really good. And uh, we've uh, moved past the day and time where, you know, you have everything on your laptop. And if that thing ever freezes or your hard drive crashes, you wonder where you're going to go next. And all those you know years of work and spreadsheets and Word documents disappears with you. Jeff, Jeff, tell me something. Do you think Waz and Steve Jobs could have envisioned what was going to happen, what they were going to do to literally turn the world on its ear, transform everything, everybody, how we live, how we think, maybe someday how we breathe, everything. When they were introduced, they were introduced, by the way, uh, by a friend named Bill Fernandez. They both worked at, let's see, Steve Jobs was working for the summer at HP, Hewlett-Packard, and Waz was working there, too, on a mainframe computer. And he says, we first met in 1971 during my college years. While he was in high school, a friend said, you should meet Steve Jobs because he likes electronics and he also plays pranks. So he introduced us and it started that simply. Do you think there was any way these guys, as brilliant as they were at the time, Jeff, could have said, we are going to create an evolution in how the world runs? Do you think it was even in the back of their minds? 
I think that um, I would take you back, uh, Bonnie, to their mission statement uh, back in the early days of Apple Computer. And I, I think if you even look at Apple, you will see, right, the, the early days. And then they, have, as even as a company, have gone through ups and downs, right? And, and perhaps even, you know, as early as last week when they released their latest quarterly results, maybe it's the beginning of, uh, of another downturn for Apple. I don't know. I'm not, uh, I'm not a futurist, so I can't, uh, I can't predict the future. But I don't know that any of us uh, could imagine 10, 15 years ago 20 years ago when the computer first uh, arrived, what, what this would mean and what it would do to us as a society and a global economy. But the, the, the Apple mission statement back in those days, I think, is really interesting. And what, what they said was to make a contribution to the world by making tools for the mind that advance man, humankind. So let me give that to you again. To make a contribution mm-hmm. to the world by making tools for the mind that advance humankind. And I think if you think about it through that mission statement, perhaps they did have a vision of this. Very interesting. I love the idea that he likes electronics and he also plays pranks. And in a sense, Jeff, if you think about it, they were just fooling around with electronics and playing a prank. And here we are, a changed culture, a changed civilization. And look what happened, yeah. And look what happened. So so don't discourage your teenagers and your young adult kids and friends from tooling around with electronics and playing pranks because they could change the world too. There we go. Jeff Scott, pleasure to have you back on the show. Very glad to see you again. And let's introduce our third panelist. She is a new newcomer to Game Changers. It's Terry Kurtz. I'll spell her name if you want to look her up. It's T-E-R-I, last name K-U-R-T-Z. She's the Regional Vice President for the SAP Midwest Market Units Database and Technology Business, DNT. And Terry has sent me a quote from Henry Ford, another pioneer, another person who has evolved and revolutionized everything about civilization at the time when he was doing his thing. And uh, if anybody doesn't remember, Henry Ford lived from 1863 to 1947. He was an American industrialist. He founded the Ford Motor Company. Okay. And he was a sponsor of the development of the assembly line technique of mass production. And even that has changed because of Internet of Things and devices and instant real-time feedback and analytics on the shop floor on the assembly line today. So here's the quote. If I had asked people what they had wanted, they would have said faster horses. Terry Kurtz, welcome. How are you? I am good, Bonnie. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here this morning. Well, we are happy to have you on board and welcome to Game Changers. Terry, are you a fan follower of Mr. Henry Ford? Tell me how you picked the quote, please. I am a big fan. I picked this quote because I think as we look at this evolution or revolution, whichever we uh, categorize it as, you have to ask a different question. Asking the same question just results in, in what he says here, a faster horse. So making the change in technology, making the change in the way that we look at things today as this fast-changing world um, creeps up on us, we have to really think about the alternatives and things like design thinking classes, things like thinking outside the box sessions, which we do with our um, I heard someone say earlier about monetizing. It's probably the biggest thing that these sessions bring to the forefront is if I'm doing something today the same way, but I'm doing it faster, what am I really doing to change my business to evolve and to monetize or look at new ways to bring revenue streams to market? So just making a faster horse, as Mr. Ford here invented the automobile, as we can see, he rejected the opportunity for a faster horse. I don't know that we could even breed one, but (laughs) either way, I think this quote to me, and I've had this on my wall um, in several offices, is really a way of asking 
the same question a different way in order to uh, arrive at a different result. Thank you very much, Sherry. It reminds me that we still refer to the term horsepower when we think of the what's under the hood in our car and how fast a car can go, right? How many HP? How many that's horsepower? True. HPs. HPs, that, well, yeah, that stands for a lot of things. How many horsepower? And what's interesting is that uh, the concept of horses being the preferred mode or maybe the only mode of transportation in those days before Henry Ford had his brainy idea, it's still part of what we think about how fast a car can go. So horses, we still love you. There we go. I'm going to turn, thank you, Terry. I'm going to turn it back to Professor Aaron Striegel. I'm going to ask you a very personal question, Aaron, but I think you're ready for it, and I know you're brave here. The question is, what are you drinking right now during the show, or what do you plan to drink later? And let me let me just back that up for a second. If somebody is new to Game Changers, welcome as a listener around the world. We have a little segment called What's in Your Cup today, because all of our 23 different theme series fall under the umbrella of the one we started in 2011. Interestingly enough, October 5th, 2011, the day the world lost Steve Jobs. That was a strange coincidence. Uh, That's called Coffee Break with Game Changers. So we're always very curious to know a little bit about who our guests are, where they're calling from, what they like to drink. It's just a social thing, an icebreaker. So I'm going to ask Professor Aaron Striegel, are you at Notre Dame today? Where is that exactly? And what time is it? And What's interesting in your cup, or what are you drinking after the show? Dr. Aaron Striegel. Sure. Thanks, Bonnie. So I'm actually sitting in my office here at Notre Dame. Uh, Notre Dame, for those of you who are not familiar with it, is located uh, just about an hour and a half out of Chicago, uh, near the northern edge of Indiana, pretty close to the Michigan border. My house is actually less than a stone's throw away from Michigan. uh, In terms of... uh, what I have in my cup, you know, like like any good academic, I, I have several cups of uh, coffee sitting in front of me. Uh, I'm a particular fan of deep, rich, uh, dark coffee. I, I think I got a bit biased when I was over in Europe for about uh, six months when I was finishing up my Ph.D., so I'm kind of a no-cream, no-sugar, straight-up coffee kind of guy. But uh, when it comes to writing, usually at night it's a, a good glass of Pinot or possibly even a Scotch, depending upon how much I have to write as an academic. <laughs> good to know. Thank you very much. Any favorite label to that Pinot? Uh, you know, I you know I, I like a Stancia, and then the, I, I actually had the pleasure when I was out uh, for a retreat for academics on social networking. We we had a fellow from Google who had a a sort of veritable uh, wine cellar in his basement, and he brought with him on the bus when we went out to uh, Reno, he brought a whole set of Pinot Noir and tried to sort of educate us. And there was one in particular where they'd, they'd actually used stainless steel barrels, and I enjoyed it, but I cannot remember the name of it for the life of me. Okay, well, we hope for the life of you, you find out one of these days if you want to. Thank you very much. Just Google it, for goodness sake. It's probably out there in somebody's blog, right? Okay, Jeff Scott, where are you calling from, and what's in your cup today? Uh, Bonnie, I'm calling about an hour and a half north of uh, where Aaron is this morning. So I'm in the great city of Chicago, where it is a beautiful blue sky day, which we're not used to this time of year. Uh, Mm -hmm. Nice temperatures, a little on the chilly side. We're hoping spring arrives sometime soon. And uh, in the coffee cup this morning, I uh, I jump between Starbucks and Dunkin' Donuts, the perennial East Coast favorite. So this morning, it's a nice dark roast from uh, Dunkin' Donuts. 
Very nice. And is it a tall one or a short one? Do you put anything in it, Jeff? Is it, is uh, it this uh, time of year? It's a really tall one, Bonnie. Um, you know, as we were chatting about before, a big event in a week or so, and we do that with SAP. So lots moving around. So lots of folks in the team uh, spending late hours and long hours getting stuff done. So it's tall. It's got a little bit of cream in it and a couple of sugars to keep me powered. Ah, that's what I was looking for. Thank you very much, Jeff. And Terry Kurtz, where are you calling from and what are you drinking? Do we have Terry? Terry dropped. Okay, we're going to wait for Terry to call back, but we're just going to, you know, we're going to roll into our first break, our only break, and I'm sure Terry will call right back in a couple minutes, and we will be sure to ask her what she's drinking. Maybe she was mixing something up when she was drinking it, and she forgot to tell us, so I know Terry Kurtz will be back. I want to say that our topic today, if you haven't guessed, is global business on steroids. The DT revolution is real, and that revolution is digital transformation. We are abbreviating it with two very important little letters, DT. Started out as an evolution, and it's a bona fide revolution now. We're speaking today to the very smart, very erudite Professor Aaron Striegel at Notre Dame, equally smart Jeff Scott, CEO of ASUG, the SAP Users Group of the Americas. I put that inside out and backwards, but same thing, and we are hoping to hear back from Terry. Terry, are you back with us? I am back. I am not sure what happened, Bonnie, and it has nothing to do with what's in my cup. That's okay. So tell us quickly, because we're ready to go to break. What is in your cup, Terry Kurtz? I am actually having a high, hot chai tea latte. I like it. It's got a little spice, a little warm, and a little caffeine. It kind of rounds out the morning for me. Very nice. So where are you calling from today, Terry? I am calling from the SAP office in Downers Grove, just outside of Chicago. Oh, we've got a a nice crew there in the Midwest. Well, I'm on the North Shore of Long Island, and Jeff, we spend more days in this half grayish sky, gloomy kind of, is it going to rain or is it not, the past week or so. Sunshine comes only in spurts. It's 48 degrees today. I don't know what happened to spring. Eventually, it'll get here, but everything has bloomed. Everything has almost come and gone. The the lovely little blossoms are off the trees already. So the ground thinks it's spring going into summer, and the outside weather says, eh, not so much. So there you are. I'm drinking cool, clear water in a cool, clear glass with a pink straw. Optimistic always that we will get some sunshine today, hence the pink straw. So as I said, we're speaking with Dr. Aaron Striegel. We're speaking with Jeff Scott and with Terry Kurtz. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. We're going to take a quick break. Listen, we're talking about global business on steroids. That means you, 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 and you all around the world. So don't even think about touching that mouse, that app, that dial. We're going to be right back with a lot more you need to know. Justin out. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. The pace of innovation is moving faster than ever, and the future of business will be defined by how quickly business leaders adapt to accelerated ongoing change. Factors as diverse as business simplification, insights from growing volumes of data, the new global pool of talent, resource scarcity, business networks and supply chains, and the ever-present need for speed are shaping the definition of future success. Join our experts as they analyze and discuss how business leaders can shape the future of change. The Future of Business with Game Changers is presented by SAP Services. Visit www.sap.com. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. 
You're listening to The Future of Business with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Email your comments and questions to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet during and after the live show at Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to The Future of Business with Game Changers. Indeed, it is the future of business, and I have to do a shout-out to Mr. David S. Fowler at SAP, who is the sponsor of this series. Dave is on episode number 40. He's listening on the line, and he's tweeting at hashtag SAP Radio, and Dave said, in his cup today, Starbucks Sumatra Single Origin Coffee brewed in his Keurig. Keurig, there we go. Dave is doing it at home. So, Dave, welcome. Glad you're tweeting, and I also see Aaron Striegel is tweeting as well. We've got people from ASUG tweeting for Jeff Scott. And I think we'll see Terry tweeting soon. And all of you out there who are friends and family of our guests, you're welcome to tweet or just tell somebody about it because we've got a very lively conversation going here. And now I'm going to start the roundtable with Professor Aaron Striegel at Notre Dame. And Aaron, before the show, we had a call a couple of days ago and I said, should I pronounce it Notre Dame? And he said, no, we're doing the English version. So it's Notre Dame. Thank you for setting me up on that. Aaron, Aaron told me in his notes before the show, here we go. We have a very tough time grasping complexity. As we scale and interconnect things, we don't really understand how or why things might fail. Let me just stop there. Professor Striegel, why don't you expand for us, please? Well, sure. Thanks, Thanks a lot, Bonnie. So, so one of the interesting things is, you know, kind of hearkening back to my opening statement is as we bring our physical world in, what, what we're going to end up doing is we're going to be taking the, all the devices where we already have billions of devices on the Internet now, and we're going to take that up a couple of notches. So we're talking, I've seen estimates as high as 50 billion devices potentially going on the Internet. And if you think about this, what, what makes it hard is now I have all these devices. Now they're ju- not just talking on the network. Now they're potentially doing things, right? So now you have the potential where, well, I can talk to my oven and I can turn it on. I can talk to the car and it might signal to a nearby car. I have all of these systems of systems that are all working together. And, and that, as humans, is really hard to understand. We, if you think about sort of the cloud, the cloud is sort of magical, right? So, so Jeff had talked about, well, now all of my information is out in the cloud, and the cloud is great, but if it breaks, it's like, well, you know, why did it break? Well, oftentimes figuring out why it broke, well, it went through point A, that went to point B, that went to point C, and it was because someone cut a fiber line near Washington, D.C. Mm. And so, you know, one of the challenges we have is as we weave together these really sort of fascinating and very compelling systems is just understanding how they work and how they're going to break. You know, imagine a scenario where you're at home and you're like, you know, I'm trying to start the washer, but you know, the washer won't start because it can't talk to my dryer. But the reason why my dryer won't uh, talk to my washer is because one of the kids left the door open to the refrigerator and it's constantly chirping and I forgot to set up the ice maker that was supposed to talk to my <laughs> phone and download a new update. You know, that all of these kind of weird cases and just sort of troubleshooting, you know, can be really problematic. And what happens is this gets amplified then as we could think of this not only my house, but maybe say at a city scale or even a state scale. And, and there's all these issues that can sort of emerge that make it just complex. But the interesting part of this is there's an incredible set of opportunities that come along with this. And that if someone can really get this right, 
there's a potential for a huge amount of value to deliver here. If you can say, I can build robust systems that work, that are well-designed, that we can show you how they work, we've proven how they work, there's real opportunities for someone out there to get this right. And, and this, is, this is kind of the sort of thing you mentioned earlier that, you know, are we in an evolution or a revolution? Mm-hmm. And once we get this right, boy, things are going to really just take off once we can kind of get this all going. Thank you, Aaron. Love to get Jeff Scott's POV on this. Jeff, jump in, please. Yeah, I think that uh, supporting what Aaron said, you think about single points of failure, and I think in the United States and North America, we enjoy a very robust infrastructure, could always be better, and there's always ways to point out improvements. But when you juxtapose that against the global world and you think about emerging economies and how they jump onto this digital uh, economy and how they think about that, their single points of failure are much greater than ours. And Again, Aaron talking about all these devices, there's another statistic out there that by the year 2018, Cisco estimates there'll be 403 trillion gigabytes of data created by Internet of Things devices. So that number, 403 trillion gigabytes, I have a hard time wrapping my brain around that. And then as an enterprise technology guy, all the technology that we need to process that data is immense and is mind-boggling how we're going to take all those bits and bytes and turn them into actions and things that tell us how our world is working and what we do about it. Interesting. And, and the question, part of the question, Jeff, is why do we need to turn them into information? Why do we need to act on them? Who's going to benefit? What's the cost? What's the cost benefit? What's it going to be the benefit to to culture, civilization, people, health, work, all of that? So there's a, I think there's a lot to be sifted through. Thank you. Great stat, by the way. Terry Kurtz, love to get your POV on this as well. So I think we've been talking a lot about the personal impact. And what I'm seeing is that the corporate impact. If we take it from the personal device and we back up all the way to a corporation, we have to look at whether it's a medical device um, company, how are they impacting the health of their customers, changing their revenue models by delivering that information out to their customers. And then it becomes, and, and I'm sure that um, the others on the phone will agree, it, it becomes an issue of who owns that data. Is it the patient mm-hmm. that owns the data? Is it the corporation that owns the data? Is it the middle party that owns the data? So. As we look at all this personal device information, whether it's your refrigerator or your smart device, we have to back that up all the way to the corporation that's actually producing that device out to us as consumers, and that becomes a whole other set of questions that we constantly grapple with. Very interesting, and, and thank you for that. And as you were all talking, I was thinking... Internet of Things, and Aaron, you're talking about devices, appliances, talking to each other, and what if they don't? The washer not talking to the dryer, and the milk not talking to the refrigerator, and the refrigerator not talking to the car. Where are the points of breakthrough? And I'm thinking, is this for the young at heart? Is this a demographic play for not just the millennials, but maybe the alert, aware, younger boomers? I'm a leading-edge boomer, not a trailing-edge boomer, but people in the older generations, past boomers, are their children and grandchildren going to set their homes up, talking about the consumer play, so that one day a senior, a real senior, walks in and says, OMG, how did that get there? And why is my refrigerator talking to me? And what the heck do I do with the phone talking to the car, talking to the washing machine? Is this going to create a, a great amount of confusion if in our enthusiasm we bring it to people who can't cope with it. Aaron, you want to comment on that? I don't know if I'm going in circles here, but yeah, well, I am you know, concerned. You know, this, is, this is an interesting sort of thing, you know, you know, and that our, our technology is, you know, really picked up pace, you know, and, and one of the mm-hmm. things, you know, whether you're looking at, 
as Terry mentioned, you know, who owns the data, you know, thinking about security, you know, one of the things that, that strikes me the most on a lot of this is, you know, just the speed at which this moves. It just seems to pick up the pace. But but sort of my my judgment I use for when things have finally made it is uh, I grew up in a very small town in uh, northwest Iowa of about 300 people, and uh, my parents still live there. And when the technology finally makes it there, I'll know it's made it just about everywhere when it finally is there. There you go. There you go. Jeff, you want to comment on that? Any thoughts on, on who's going to be using this and how confusing is it or is it not going to be? Any thoughts? I'm going to come at it from a slightly different perspective, Bonnie. Uh, when I step back and look at this, and I have teenagers in my house like many of us do, and one of the things that surprises me is when we talk about consumerization of technology, they are consuming this technology. I don't see them and their friends doing a lot to create it. So they're using the Snapchats, the Instagrams, all of those services, but I don't see the curiosity about how do I get behind that and maybe create my own. And when you look at the iPhone or the Android and you look at these mobile devices, and Aaron alluded to this at the early part of the conversation, there's a tremendous amount of complexity in how these things are delivered. And it's no longer just about writing a simple you know, visual basic program or pick your language of choice. There's millions and millions of, line of co- lines of code that go into a modern-day mobile device. And, and how do we expose that through the education systems? And I think our educational systems here in North America are out of sync with where we're going as a digital economy because we're not hmm. teaching computer programming early enough. We're not teaching that innate curiosity. We're teaching people how to be users of the technology. We're not necessarily teaching them how to be creators of it. Very interesting. Terry, anything you want to wrap up on this one? Any thoughts on this? I, I uh, think this? that's a really interesting point, Jeff. Um, I have a four-year-old granddaughter, and I, I when you mentioned um, the young people coming in, she plays on my iPad all the time, loves all the different games. She walked up to my laptop and went to do a, a pinch and push, looked at it, and she said, it's broken, Grandma. And I thought, <laughs> oh, my gosh, this is such an unbelievable. <laughs> she knows. She knows. And if you flip the coin to the other side of our parents, which Aaron was is talking about, you know, my mother still calls me and doesn't know how to reboot her computer. So there's such an enormous gap between the two generations. But I think that we all know that this technology that's coming to us is supposed to be making things easier. And if I look back to a movie that I saw with, um, I think it was Bette Miller and Billy Crystal that went to take care of their grandchildren and their whole house was... um, automation and everything and how quickly they adapted and I know it was just a movie but how quickly they adapted to that technology and went from being a nuisance to actually being helping them be much more productive um, in taking care of those children so I think it's an evolution and a learning process but it's it's just dramatically (coughs) changing how people interact in their lives (coughs) excuse me Terry I'm all choked up (laughs) because I found the movie it's parental guidance from 2012 Let me just take a quick sip here. Mm, hold on. Mm. I was looking up at at, uh, at my search, and it says, Billy Crystal, Bette Miller, Marissa Tomei, Tom Everett Scott, Artie and Diane agree to look after their three grandkids when their type A helicopter parents go away. Good conversation. I'm going to move this ahead to a slightly different area of conversation, of topic. Jeff Scott at ASA, you say companies need very different approaches to succeed in this digital world. And Jeff, we're talking about the digital transformation, the evolution, revolution, whatever. Let me just read a quote you sent me from MIT Sloan Management Review. Very telling. I'm going to ask you then to expand it. Success in the digital future, and I think that is now, 
will depend on your company's ability to implement digital technologies innovatively by rethinking strategy, culture, and talent. That is a lot for a company to do. So, Jeff, why don't you talk to us? And- so I think, Bonnie, the, the impetus of this is thinking about all of the new technologies and all these companies that have popped up recently who know only a digital world. And they're the names that we read about in the, in the newspapers and online every day, and we know who they are. They're the... That Ubers, the Airbnbs, the Facebooks, the Googles, the, the list goes on and on. And they know a very different world. So when you think back, and, and Aaron and Terry and I are all in the Midwest, and you think back to core manufacturing, the strategies that you need in the future digital world where everything is moving to bits and bytes are radically different. And how do these traditional organizations who are very successful, what they did, have been around for a long, long time, how do they, you know, take advantage of this this new digital realm and not have to play a game of catch-up, but play a game of leadership and being out in front. So I think that's the first thing that I think about when we talk about that uh, Sloan management uh, quote. And, and fundamentally, that changes the way you approach culture and the way you approach talent inside your organizations. Gone are the days of the technology department declaring success by keeping infrastructure up and running 24 by 7 by 365 or thereabouts. It's no longer about technology as, a, as the end in itself. Technology and today's world is very much a means to an end. So how do we engage the entire business to think technologically about how they advance? And that's a very different view than where business technology started 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago, where, you know, getting a report out that said this is what the manufacturing facility did as far as efficiency last night or the week before was good, right? It now needs to be real time and not only just facing backwards in the sense of here's how we did 24 hours ago or a week ago, here's how we're likely to do in the next week or the next month, and here's the economic factors that are going to come into play that may drive demand or may, may drive consumer behavior. Very different uh, environment, and it takes a very different technological skill set to do that. Thank you, Jeff. Before I bring in Terry and Aaron on this one, I'd like to ask you a question. Who in leadership is responsible for seeing this, for saying, aha, we have to rethink our strategy and our culture and our talent? Does this come from the current, you mentioned traditional or typical companies? Does this come from millennials coming in the door and they are lion's share of the workforce already. We already know the statistics. So where does this come from, this impetus, this future view, this, yes, it's time to change, damn it, we have to be part of this wave or it's just going to wipe us out? Where does it come from, Jeff? I think it comes from all facets of the organization, Bonnie, and I think the important thing to think about is it has to come in a synchronized way, and most organizations are not yet thinking about technology in a synchronized fashion. The IT department is moving in one direction. Marketing and sales is moving in another. Engineering is moving in a third direction. They're picking their own tools. They're picking their own ideas of how they want to tackle problems. But at the end of the day, when you think about the amount of data that's being generated in the future digital economy, winners will be the people who can figure out how to synchronize all that data. And you don't synchronize that by having each part of your organization moving in different directions in an unsynchronized way. Thank you very much. Terry Kurtz, love to get your point of view on this, please. I, I completely agree with Jeff. I think it's coming from all facets of the organization. New titles are emerging, and most of our customers around chief digital officer, chief information officer, mm-hmm. all of these new roles that they're bringing to the organization because the CEO knows that they have to adapt and change and stay current. I mean, there's so many stories out there about companies that were, you know, name brands that are no longer in the business world. And I think every organization out there, every company is looking 
to make sure that they don't become part of that list. And we see it every day with our customers wanting to shrink the time from IT delivering to the business. When you talk to customers two, three years ago, we were talking in terms of years and multiple years, double-digit years, and now we have to talk in terms of weeks and months. The business can't wait anymore for three years for new technology. They need that in much shorter time frames much shorter time frames right now. Thank you, Terry. If I can can amplify Terry's comment for a moment, Bonnie, in my Mm -hmm. role, looking out over the entire, you know, ecosystem of SAP customers here in North America, unfortunately, I see more cases of not where the chief digital officer, if that title exists in an organization, and the chief information officer being more in conflict than more in harmony and synchronization. And I think that that conflict is where organizations fall over in the sense that those two great organ, you know, people and great titles need to be lockstep and arm-in-arm in delivering value to their organization. And we need to do a better job of keeping them in sync versus creating organizational structures and incentive structures and compensation structures that encourage them to not be. That's where I was... Yes, and Jeff, thank you for that, and Terry, because that's what I was trying to get at. Not, I guess the expansion of my original question was not just whose responsibility is it, but who has to play well in the sandbox together to make it happen. That would be another, another part of that question. Thank you. Let's turn to Aaron Striegel. Aaron, love to get your thoughts on what we're discussing here. Yeah, I, I think that, you know, one of the things that, that happens in this new digital age is the speed of everything is just so much faster, just as Terry sort of noted. And you know, one of the challenges for an organization enable, in order to deliver that weeks and months sort of timetable is, you know, how do you create basic building blocks that exposes the data that you need and then turns it into something actionable? So, you know, how do you get at it? How do you make that report? How do you get that data in order to make that real-time decision is, is a real challenge. To, you know, how do you sort of make that data accessible, you know, and in some sense, unleash the creativity of the people in your organization to do great things. Thank you very much, Jeff. I'm going to roll this back to you for any wrap-up on this topic before I look at something from Terry's notes. Anything, Jeff? I'm going to amplify, you know, what Aaron just talked about, because the innovation that's coming out of other organizations and, you know, in, in Aaron's research and teaching in Notre Dame, the the frequency and the speed at which these new solutions are coming to market and the speed at which new data streams are coming online isn't slowing down. So the modern organization has to be able to figure out how to keep pace and how to expect and be in a situation to be out in front of this and versus behind it. And that comes back to the argument that the talent and the culture inside the organization must be willing to embrace this change and know that this whole environment, this whole, you know, culture that we're living in of digital transformation is going to shift another 90 degrees, 180 degrees very quickly, and we all have to be aware of that and keep plowing forward. Thank you. Talking about plowing forward, Terry Kurtz, I'm looking into your notes here. Something I think we should put on a banner or crochet on the side of a pillow. You say everyone's (laughs) number one job today is digital transformation. Terry Kurtz, you agree? Did you make that up or did you see that somewhere? It's very profound, and that's what we're talking about, right? I think it's something that we talk about, at least my team talks about every single day with our customers. It has to be job number one. Um, if we just rewind, and I think about my time in the IT business and selling into our customers, is our customers spent years trying to figure out how to create an EDW, and they weren't delivering absolutely zero value to the business. And now if we look at this job number one is digital transformation, we, we have to help them, enable them 
to move forward. We, ha- we can't look at how to fix problems that were in the past, how to continue to do business the same. We have to transform. If I hear the word, well, we've always done it that way, those words drive me absolutely crazy because doing it that way isn't going to get you any further than where you're at right now. So every single one of our customers, job one, is to really understand the impact of the digital transformation and how do I get there. That's probably the biggest question, and, and Aaron and um, Jeff, I'm sure, hear this all the time, is that's great. We're all using these awesome words, digital transformation and the evolution and the mm-hmm. revolution, but help me understand how do I get there. Thank you. Terry, I'm not done with you yet, but I want to bring in a quick Einstein quote. It's a famous one, and I think you paraphrased it very beautifully a moment ago. And here's the quote. We cannot solve our problems with the same thinking we used when we created them. I'm just going to put that out there as a little other quote of the day. But, Terry, I wanted to to, uh, get that out there. I've already tweeted. And, by the way, I have a quick shout-out. I see that Patrick... Patrick H. Patrick Heffernan at TBR is uh, listening to the show today, and he's tweeting at hashtag SAP Radio. So, Patrick, long time no see, no hear. Come back on Game Changers with us. Email me, and we'll find a topic for you. Always good to see our, our friends from Game Changers. So, Terry, I'm looking back at farther into your notes, and you say... Digital transformation in business goes well beyond IT. For example, VPs of finance, corporate controllers, other finance management professionals all need to assess and implement the ranking of digital transformation priorities using, and you give five categories. I'm not going to read them, but do you think that business today is aware, Terry, as we've been talking, that it's not just IT's job? You say digital, people think, oh, that's IT. We got to code. We got to do this. We got to connect. Mm-hmm. We got to get those sensors talking. We got to collect the data. We got to. That's the IT. And now you're saying finance management, corporate controllers. Uh, And we have a show, Terry, I don't know if you're aware, called Financial Excellence with Game Changers, where we talk about the morphing, the transformation of the role of the finance professional today from somebody who used to, pardon me, sit in the basement with the green eyeshade with the green lamp and move things around on a spreadsheet and report things last month, last year, last six months, whatever. And now we're saying they have to be sitting actively at that C-suite table helping to guide the business through real-time insights. So, Terry, talk to me. Finance, do they know they're part of this digital transformation success? Are you going to tell them? Should I tell them? Well, I think we all have to tell them. Okay. Um, If you look at any transformation that's happening inside an organization, it has to be driven from the business side. And if you think about the two drivers of any organization, it's either to reduce costs or to drive revenue. And who is more tied to revenue than the CFO? The CIO has become the enabler to solve the business problems, to help the business transform through technology. But they're not the ones driving the business desires for that, whether it's a new revenue stream. That's coming out of the office of the CEO and the CFO is what is the impact to the organization. The CIO is just the enabler now. They're the ones to help mirrored through the technologies that are out there to actually solve the particular business problem. But it's all coming from the business, whether it's the CFO, the head of supply chain, the head of distribution, all of these different channels that are either driving new revenue streams or increasing the revenue streams that they have today. Thank you very much. Aaron Striegel, love to get your two cents or $10, however much you want to spend on this one. I think it's an important I, I, topic. I don't, I don't know if it's two cents or a dollar or whatever, you know, it kind of <laughs> depends upon inflation of the day or something like that. But, you know, I, I, you know, I think one of the, the things, you know, Jeff had alluded to this, this notion of synchronization, you know, and, and one of the things that strikes me is that 
you know, with all of this data, everybody in the organization really needs to have some sort of an awareness of, you know, data. How does it move and understanding this digital transformation? As Terry mentioned, it's sort of everybody has to buy in because as opposed to sort of the spreadsheets of old where you had static data, now it's real-time data feeding in. And you, whether maybe you're in finance, you need to understand or at least have an appreciation of data that then allows you to inform the CIO such that then you can synchronize and work together to figure out how do you best leverage this, not just IT provide some tools, but having finance and other parts of the organization inform IT, you know, here's what we need to succeed. Here's what we think we can do in the digital domain. How do we get there? Thank you very much, Jeff Scott. Talk to us. What do you think? And at the you know, and in the in the at the same time, everything around you is changing, right? So as Aaron talked about, you know, more and more devices are coming online. How you use those devices, put them to work, are are changing. Consumerization of technology has fundamentally changed the balance of the technology landscape to the consumer. So they're making demands about how they want to interact with your company, how they want to talk to you, whether that be through Twitter or be through other social um, means. You know, that whole landscape is moving around you, and so not only do you have to be internally focused and execute well internally, you have to be very well aware of how everything around you is shifting, where are your disruptors going to come from. So if, you know, if I was a, a person inside of a Marriott hotel or inside of a Wyndham or, or Hyatt, pick your, pick, your, pick your favorite hotel chain, and all of a sudden Airbnb shows up, I, I've got a very different model. And so how, how are your industries going to be disrupted and where are those disruptors going to come from? And as you pointed to when you started the conversation this morning, Bonnie, those, in, those disruptors are coming. You're not going to know when, where, or why, or how, but they're going to show up, and no industry is immune. No industry can say, I, it's not going to happen to me. It's going to happen to you. It's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. Thank you very much. And on that note, I'm going to circle back to Professor Aaron Striegel at Notre Dame. Aaron, it is crystal ball predictions time. I warned you we were going to make you go first, so be brave, be bold. And uh, I got a note here from Dave Fowler, Aaron, and he said, listening to you talk makes Dave want to go back to college. So that's a compliment to you, <laughs> Professor Striegel. <laughs> and I think Dave, like I am, has been out of college many, many, many years. So that's quite an accolade to you. So, Professor Striegel, look into the crystal ball at Notre Dame. I know you you polished it off before the show. I love the year 2020. I don't know how far in the future you want to look ahead, but what will change about this topic? The future might be 10 minutes after we're off the air. It could be next week. It could be 10 years out. Global business on steroids, the digital transformation revolution is real. What will be significantly markedly different at what point in the future? 60 seconds, Aaron Striegel, go. So when I, when I think about the future, you know, as, as academics, we have to think not only 2020, but, you know, to justify funding, we have to think about what do we need to research for 2030 uh, or looking ahead to that. You know, I, I think, you know, looking ahead even to 2020, per, perhaps the most profound thing that's going to happen is the cloud is going to move much closer to you. While it's great to send everything to the cloud, that just introduces a bit too much delay for everything to go back mm -hmm. and forth. And I, and I think what we're going to see is that this notion of what's called sort of edge computing and that all of my access points, my infrastructure, is going to pick up the ability to store information, to compute on information, then, and then react appropriately. And, and this is going to change in that now your data is almost going to kind of follow you around and what this is going to happen is then now I can have 
whatever is controlling the environment and interacting, this is all going to happen locally. And it's almost like, I don't know if you look at like the sort of the storm cloud following around Charlie Brown or something like that, but you have mm-hmm. this notion where your data and all of your computation sort of flows around you and all of your devices talk to one another. And, and this will just change how we look at it. We'll still have the cloud. The cloud will be very important, but now the fingers of the cloud will reach out. And I think this will really sort of change maybe how we deploy devices, how we interact. And this is going to be interesting to figure out, you know, how do we monetize this and how do we actually pay for this infrastructure and who should actually provide it? I think this is going to be a fascinating problem to look at. Thank you very much. Little Birdie just told me we might be talking about it on part two next month, so uh, you can start thinking about it right now. The future is closer than you think, Professor Striegel. Thank you very much. Great prediction. Jeff Scott at ASUG. What do you see in the ASUG crystal ball, Jeff? I can give you 60 seconds as well. Bonnie, I think we will see technology and innovation continue to outpace geopolitical boundaries and, and national boundaries and uh, social boundaries, and I think that's going to be an interesting thing to watch play out over the coming years and maybe even decades, right? But uh, we're clearly living in a global and connected economy, and that's not going to slow down and that's not going to stop. Yet our regulatory structures are a little bit out of sync with that and perhaps getting further out of sync. And, and then you have some threats to all of this. You look at you know, what's happening in countries like Syria and the Middle East, and you think about global terrorism and, and how that plays into this and, and, you know, increasing cries to have segregation and not allow people to move around. And I think we live in a very interesting time, and to watch technology ignore all those factors and plow forward will be uh, interesting to see how that all plays itself out. I think you're absolutely right. Thank you, Jeff. And Jeff, a shout-out to your team at ASUG. We did have a radio series um, Something about HR, but it was a, certainly a good one. I've got 23 series, hard to keep all my children straight. But shout out to shout out to Sherry Ann Meyer, who works with you. She did a terrific series with us and hope she'll come back. No, thank you. Yes, and Terry Kurtz, I saved a full minute for you, Terry. What do you see in the crystal ball? Thank you, Bonnie. Um, I'm going to take it a little bit a uh, different way. I think that we are going to see a shrinkage between the corporate and the consumer. I think every single one of our consumer products, customers that we talk to, they want to get closer to the consumer. The, the gap between their knowledge of understanding what the person wants, how they want to interact with that data, how they want to own that data, and what they want to do with it, I think dramatically in 2020, that, that gap is going to be significantly less. Whether we're talking about an appliance manufacturer, we're talking about a medical device manufacturer, that gap is going to get significantly smaller. And I think that's great for all of us because we're going to get more personalized ways that we want to interact. I think it was Aaron who talked about the refrigerator not knowing what the washer and dryer was doing. Mm-hmm. Maybe I, as a consumer, don't want that type of interaction. I want it to be different and personalized for me. I think we're yes. going to see things much more personalized from corporations being able to deliver that to us by 2020. Thank you very much, Terry Kurtz. I want to do a special shout-out and thank you to Dave Fowler, who put together this extraordinarily smart and savvy panel. Dave is listening. He's on the line. He's tweeting. And, Dave, thank you. Uh, Dave is very proud that he has done so many shows with us. I think this is episode number 40, as I said. He keeps renewing season after season. So Future of Business is here to stay. Uh, Thank you, dear thank you, to Aaron Striegel, Professor Striegel at University of Notre Dame, Jeff Scott at ASUG, Terry Kurtz at SAP. Shout-out to Team 
Timo Elliott, one of Terry's colleagues. I was given his Twitter handle, and I hope we can get Timo back on the air soon. And a shout-out to Justin and the Business Channel team for getting us on the air and keeping us on the air. I'm Bonnie D. Graham at SAP, and here is my call to action. Fasten your seatbelt. It probably has a sensor in it, you know. Who knows what it's telling to whom? Take a look. What are you waiting for? In any case, put on that seatbelt and go out and be a game changer today. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to The Future of Business with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter, hashtag SAPRADIO. And please join host Bonnie D. Graham again next Thursday morning at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week.